Sometimes for me anyway, it's helpful to begin with confession. When I was a young pastor, so clearly it's not the case any longer, right? I, I, used to, I used to study during the week and I'd get kind of fired up about what I was learning. And I would begin to think about, so you guys are going to be really nervous when I say this, I begin to think about the people who would be coming to church and how this was going to be so good for them. Ha <laughs> ha! And I would have in my mind the, 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 the people that this would be good for. And, and this is the truth. I mean, this happened over and over, week after week, until I realized every time, I mean, not just once, not just twice, but every time I thought of somebody, they weren't there. Just every time. And I realized, you know what? I, I need to talk about God's Word and what God has for all of us, regardless of whether people are going to be there or not. The person that I had in mind was going to be there or not. But I, and I say that, and, and you might look at me and say, oh, well, that, you know, that pastor, he's kind of small-minded, you know, picking on people. But the reality is, I've had the same kind of thing happen after the service. I'll talk to some people and they'll say, oh, I wish my husband was here for that. Or, oh, if only, if only my neighbor could have been here, that, that would have really helped them. And it's, it dawned on me I, that I do the same thing as everybody else. And I think of how the message or how God's Word can be useful for somebody else. And it's always sort of out there in the distance it's going to be for somebody else. Well, I, I say that this morning... Because I just want you to know, it's for you. Okay? Some of you are going to be thinking about somebody else, but I want you to know it's for you. Because the, the way that this goes in Romans is that he is making a case that all of us need good news. And in fairness, okay, to me and to you, he started out with those other people. Right? He said that, he said that uh, from the beginning of the world, the, the invisible attributes of God have been clearly seen in the things which are made. So that they are without excuse. So who's without excuse? They! <laughs> right? Whew. Okay? Until... And then he, and then he talks about some of the problems they have at the end of chapter 1. In chapter 2, however, he starts off by saying those of you who, who judge those who do those things, you do them yourselves and you are without excuse. So in order to make the case that all of us need the Gospel, he had to start with they, and then he had to come to us. And I say that because this morning... He is talking to us. And it's really important that you recognize that this, this may be for somebody else, but it is for you. And the reason it's important is I want you, I don't want anybody to walk out of here 
trusting in themselves instead of Jesus. And that really is what he aims at in the text we have before us today in Romans chapter 2. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. And he has in view here the person who is religious. Who, who seeks to escape their need for the Gospel because of their religious involvement. Romans 2.17 But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code in circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So there are two paragraphs here, two thoughts in this section. And I just want to expose them up front and then we're going to talk about them. The first one says that you can say all the right things and still miss the point. The second thing, the second paragraph suggests that you can do all the right things and still miss the point. So you can do, you can say all the right things and you can do all the right things and you can miss the most important thing. And so I want to make sure that none of you are saying the right things and doing the right things and missing the most important thing. So this is, this is really how we get started. But if you call yourself a Jew, now, <laughs> I suspect not many of you are calling yourself that. Okay. But this is written, this is written to a church in Rome that, that got started primarily because of Jewish converts who were either, uh, transfers from a, a, a church that had already been started or had been there at Pentecost at the very, 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 very beginning and then had gone back to Rome 
and had gotten together with the two or three or four other people and they started this little congregation. There was this Jewish church that broke out of the synagogue. And then they were added uh, to their number a few more Jews and a, and a few Gentiles. And then there was a, a, some Roman pressure on the Jews and they had to leave Rome leaving only the Gentiles. Pressure subsided and some of the Jews came back. And so, you have this mixed church now of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews assuming that their heritage, that their religion was of value to them before God. You see now, while you're not calling yourself a Jew, it is very possible that you can make that same assumption about your church, about your Christianity. That somehow your religious, your, your religious activity or your religion is of value before God. And that's what he's taking aim at. And I just want you to notice the way that, that this goes about talking about it. You call yourself a Jew. You're saying the right thing. And you rely on the law and you boast in God. Now I'm just going to say, is it a bad thing to rely on the law? Not necessarily. Is it a bad thing to boast in God? Now, that might even be a good thing. I mean, I know there's a lot of you who would like to know God's will for your life. Right? These guys do. They rely on the law, boast in God, know His will. They even approve what is excellent. This is not a group of bad people. It's not a group of people who are shaking their fist at God. These are people who were trying their best to get along with God. And they do it because they're instructed in the law. Okay? In other words, they do it because their Bibles are open on their lap. They do it because they are trying to pay attention to what God wants for their life. This is a good thing. These people are saying all the right things. They're sure that they're a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness. They have been, shall I say, sharing their faith. They have been talking to other people about how meaningful God is in their life and how those people can find Him as well. They are an instructor to the foolish, a teacher to children. These people are saying all the right things. I'm just going to stop here when it talks about instructing the foolish and teaching children because one of the things that we, that we experience is we experience this in our, in our families. I don't know if there are any parents here, but there, ha there are people who have been children here. I'm certain of that. And you know, right? 
that parents tell children not to raise your voice. And parents tell children to let other people go first and then they go first. And that's the same kind of thing he's calling out here. He's calling out the, the talking and saying the right things, but not doing the right things. This is the, the, the kind of hypocrisy that not very many people see. It's somebody who has the right answers, yet the wrong heart. Instructor of the foolish or teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. I'd even say these people might have family devotions. I mean, these guys are on their game. They have and they value God's Word. You who teach others. Here's the problem, right? Do you not teach your Selves. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you not rob temples? You are talking a good game, yet your life doesn't match your talk. This is the danger that religious people face. In fact, you know, this is, this is how religious people get called out all the time, right? Yeah, they just, they're a bunch of hypocrites. This is like a number one excuse for not coming to church. It's because people do this. And what he's saying about people who do this is that you need the Gospel as the power of God for salvation for you. Not for them. You boast in the law. You make a big deal of God's Word. And you should. But you dishonor God when you break the law. And this is a problem. I care more about talking about it than I care about doing it. You can talk a good game all you want and still not win the game. And this is his conclusion. As it's written, as it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The reputation of Jesus outside of the church is uh, at best tarnished, if not destroyed, because people are all talking about what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's not good, and their lives don't reflect their talk. And so, it's not what you say that really matters before God. You can undo what you say by living the wrong way. And so, that's, that's his first uh, idea. Is that there, it is very possible 
to talk a good game in the church. To tell people about your quiet time or talk about your Bible study or, or talk about all of the um, you know, giving that you've done or talk about the, 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 your value of human life that you uh, vote for. Or whatever, however you want to fill in that idea, you can talk about it and your life undoes what you talk about. If that's the case for you, you need the gospel. Then the second paragraph. Is like it. And again, it starts off with a Jewish reference because of this situation they had in the church in Rome. It's a situation that we don't exactly have, but nonetheless, it's, it impinges on our own religion. And he talks about circumcision. Now, I, again, I just hinted a minute ago that I've been at this a long time and have been a, um, a, a pastor for a long time, been in ministry a long time. My very first attempt at leading any kind of group, I, I was leading a college group, and we had a re- retreat on the, and the topic for this retreat was the Book of Romans. We were just going to really dig into God's Word and be fired up about it, you know, because we were college students. That's what college students do. And my goal in this, and then I led with the team, but my goal was to kind of turn the Bible study over to kind of the next generation, the freshmen, sophomores, who were going to come up and maybe lead this after we were done, you know. So we give them, they're going to lead the, they're going to lead the Bible study. And so we get a break into small groups out there all throughout this retreat, and I was in a small group with this uh, guy who actually has been a pastor ever since. Okay, I'm just going to say that. And we opened the Bible up to this passage for sermon. This was the one we had that morning. He opens it up and he's going to get a discussion going. And he says to a group of college guys, So, what really is circumcision? <laughs> and to this day, I can't read this text without remembering that. Because it, it didn't mean to me what it meant to the Jews. Let me say that. Okay? Circumcision was a sign of their covenant relationship with God. You may remember Genesis chapter 17 where God said all the males will be circumcised and that will be a sign of the covenant that I make with you. And so, what that meant was that a physical expression correlated with spiritual reality. That's what God intended. He intended that their circumcision uh, that was external and physical would somehow um, connect them with the spiritual covenant that they had before God. Now, 
That's the problem. Because it was just it was just a physical mark. It was a um, albeit intimate, but physical, external act to be circumcised. It did not necessarily change someone's heart. You could think of it like wearing a blue shirt. Okay? A blue shirt is going to be the sign of My covenant. Okay? You can put on a blue shirt and it doesn't change your heart. And it doesn't change your relationship with God. That's that's the effect that he's talking about here. Is that somebody is doing some kind of external thing and the reality of their faith isn't there. So, circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. So, if you have the internal thing, the external thing has value. But if you break the law, so you're, you're, you're... in your heart, in your acti- actions, you're dismissing God. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or if you have this sign. You can build this external life that is visible. You can tell people that I have all of the right things in place. I am one of God's people. I go to a good church. I read my Bible. I'm doing all of these activities. But if you're not keeping the law, it doesn't matter. So if a man who's uncircumcised does keep... So now he goes even farther. This is very offensive to someone who is Jewish and and proud of being circumcised, someone who's uncircumcised keeps the law, their uncircumcision will be considered as though it were circumcision. God will view the internal change as the thing that counts and the external thing isn't going to matter. So man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision. The physical, external activity doesn't really matter if there's not an inward change. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn... Now he's making it personal to them. You who have a written code and circumcision but break the law. So here is the problem. You have this external facade You are doing the right things. You have the very words of God on your lap. You have the mark that you are the people of God. But, you don't do what He says. That's a problem. And he says that people who do are going to condemn those who don't. And so now he's beginning to blur the lines. It's okay, this is why we're, I was just saying, this is for the people who are religious without the spiritual reality underneath it. He said, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. 
So he's saying God's concern is not your lineage. It's not your um, family heritage, nor is it outward in a sign of a covenant or some uh, physical expression. It's not outward. Rather, a Jew is one inwardly. Inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So something just happened here. I want to make sure that you see it. Okay, uh, We were talking about saying all the right things. And then we're talking about doing all the right things. Having all of the right uh, structures in my life. Having all the right uh, practices in place. Having this external life built that looks religious. And he says, that person who on the outside has all those things doesn't, doesn't matter. What matters is what is inward. And when I say something happened, what just happened... The Jews went inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Do you see that? By the Spirit. And what he's saying is what matters is what God has done in you. Not what you do here on the outside. Not what you say. So don't, don't trust in saying the right things or in, even in doing the right things. But your trust is in God by the Spirit, not by the letter. You're not going to ultimately be measured by the externals. You're not going to be measured by the way that you um, dress, by the way, by what time you get here on Sunday morning. You are going to be measured by, has God done a change in your heart? See, this is why it's for everybody. Because it is very likely that somebody here is going through religious motions. Somebody here can talk a good game and their heart has not been transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. That's what we ultimately need. And see, the language that he's using here is language from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30, he warned them. I mean, this happened right away. Deuteronomy was written before the people of Israel even got to the promised land. They just had the Exodus, wandered 40 years, and then, they had, then he wrote Deuteronomy before the 40 years were out. And he says, the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. That's really what we're after. We're after God doing a work in us, rather than us doing some kind of external performance that might somehow merit my acceptance before God. We want God to change our hearts so that we will love Him rather than merely talking about loving Him. And so God's 
God's work in your life is what matters. This is the Gospel we're going to get to. I mean, this is the, the, the change that's going to happen. When we get to chapter 3 and 4 and 5, it's glorious. Okay, I'm not going there because we're going to do that in a few weeks. I'm going backwards to the Old Testament, letting you know that this has always been what God has been looking for. Who is changed by the Spirit? Here in Ezekiel chapter 36, this is the New Covenant. See, we talk about the New Covenant when we take communion. And Jesus said, this is the New Covenant in My blood. Okay, The New Covenant promise is that God's going to do this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Who's going to do that? Yeah, God's going to. It's not my it's not my external performance. It's not me saying all the right things. I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes. And I will cause you to be careful to obey My rules. You shall dwell in the land I give to your fathers and you shall be My people and I will be your God. See, the beauty of this is that God's going to do for you what needs to be done and He invites you to trust Him. That's what we mean when we say good news. The good news is God will do it. Will you believe the good news? Good advice is you need to do better. You, you are not saying the right things. You are not doing the right things. That's good advice. Start doing the right things. I'm saying the Gospel, which means good news, is this, that God will do this for you. That's why you need it, and that's why I need it. And then, it gets even better. The very last phrase, His praise is not from man, but from God. The one who is inwardly changed, His praise is not from man, but from God. I want you to notice a couple things here. Why do people talk a good game? Whoa! I had the greatest conversation. That guy is really spiritual. This person really loves the Lord. Oh, yeah! Right? Thank you, praise for men. Why do people build this external facade of doing all of the right things. So if you even look at them and say, whoa, they're acts together. Oh yeah. I didn't realize that somebody could be that far along. Wow. Yeah, they're praises from men. And see, there's a temptation for all of us. There's a temptation for all of us to aim at that. To say, now I'm, I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to be at church here, and I know that, you know, people can expect this from me. So I'm going to try and meet some expectations today, maybe exceed some expectations, so that people think I'm really something. And you know, if you get that, you get it. 
Have a nice day, right? He said the, the, the problem is when that's all you get. But the other thing that happens here is that His praise is not from men, but from God. When God changes your life and you have, as it said in chapter 1, I think it's verse 5, the obedience of faith so that you are doing the, the, the works of God because of the change that God has brought in your life, then God praises you. Then God praises Wait a minute. I'm supposed to praise God, right? Think about this. God is fired up about saving people. God loves to change lives. God is not that fired up about people who are working harder and trying to do better and trying to take the credit for it. So God accepts, applauds, and embraces those who have been changed by the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to say this one other thing about this. If you just look back a few verses, um, verse 6 of chapter 2, it talks about heaping up God's wrath. So what just happened here, when God by the Spirit, saved somebody. What just happened is that instead of being under the condemnation of God, they receive the praise of God. Imagine that. I mean, that's, that could not be a bigger change. And so, I want you to recognize... All of you. I want all of them, right? All of them, chapter 1, to know. But I want all of you to know that you need the Gospel. For it is the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. To the one who is religious first and then also to the one who is not religious. See, when you pull Jew and Gentile into this text, when it's talking about inward change, it's talking about being religious, then it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, there is an advantage to having the Word of God. And the advantage is that you get to hear and absorb and enjoy the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And He doesn't demand that those sinners save themselves. He died for sinners so that He might be their Savior. And He might save them. And He might transform their hearts so that God might applaud and accept them into eternal life. And so it's my hope and prayer today that you are not here just talking a good game. 
That you're not here trying to do all of the right things in hope that if you can just check off the church box or check off the giving box or check off the serving box, that somehow get enough boxes, God's going to say, that's good. I'm sorry if that's how you fill out your tax form. That's not how you get right with God. You get right with God by being changed in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And the Gospel is the explanation or the news about how God does that for you. And that's why it is the power of God that saves everyone who believes. You can be certain you're saved. Not not just guess you're saved. You can be certain you're saved because of the Gospel. So let me... Let me pray for us here.